Section 8 of From a Swedish Homestead by Selma Lagerlöf. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Reading by Lars Rolander. Section 8. The Story of a Country House. Part 8. A short happy time followed. Gunnar Hede was certainly not quite himself, but those around him were happy in the belief that he soon would be. His memory was partly gone. He knew nothing about certain periods of his life. He could not play the violin. He had almost forgotten all he knew, and his power of thinking was weak. And he preferred neither to read nor to write. But still he was very much better. He was not frightened. He was fond of his mother. He had again assumed the manners and habits of a gentleman. One can easily understand that her ladyship and all her household were delighted. Hede was in the best of spirits, bright and joyous all day long. He never speculated over anything, put to one side everything he could not understand, never spoke about anything that necessitated mental exertion, but talked merrily and cheerfully. He was most happy when he was engaged in bodily exercise. He took Ingrid out with him sledging and skating. He did not talk much to her, but she was happy to be with him. He was kind to Ingrid as he was to everyone else, but not in the least in love with her. He often wondered about his fiancée, wondered why she never wrote, but after a short time that trouble too left him. He always put away from him anything that worried him. Ingrid thought that he would never get really well by doing like this. He must sometime be made to think, to face his own thoughts, which he was afraid of doing now. But she dared not compel him to do this, and there was no one else who dared. If he began to care for her a little, perhaps she might dare. She thought all they now wanted, every one of them, was a little happiness. It was just at that time that a little child died in the parsonage at Draglanda, where Ingrid had been brought up, and the grave-digger was about to dig the grave. The man dug the grave quite close to the spot where the previous summer he had dug the grave for Ingrid, and when he had got a few feet into the ground, he happened to lay bare a corner of her coffin. The grave-digger could not help smiling a little to himself. Of course, he had heard that the dead girl lying in this coffin had appeared. She was supposed to have unscrewed her coffin lid on the very day of her funeral, risen from the grave, and appeared at the parsonage. The pastor's wife was not so much liked, but that people in the parish rather enjoyed telling this story about her. The grave-digger thought that people should only know how securely the dead were lying in the ground, and how fast the coffin lids. He interrupted himself in the midst of his thought. On the corner of the coffin which was exposed, the lid was not quite straight, and one of the screws was not quite fast. He did not say anything, he did not think anything, but stopped digging and whistled the whole reveille of the Vermland regiment, for he was an old soldier. Then he thought he had better examine the thing properly. It would never do for a grave-digger to have thoughts about the dead which might come and trouble him during the dark autumn nights. He hastily removed some more earth, 
Then he began to hammer on the coffin with his shovel. The coffin answered quite distinctly that it was empty, empty. Half an hour after the gravedigger was at the parsonage, there was no end to the questioning and surmises. So much they were all agreed upon that the young girl had been in the dollar man's pack, but what had become of her afterwards? Anna Stina stood at the oven in the parsonage and looked after the baking, for the course there was baking to be done for the new funeral. She stood for a long time listening to all this talk without saying a word. All she took care of was that the cakes were not burnt. She put sheet tins in and took sheet tins out, and it was dangerous to approach her as she stood there with a the long baker's shovel. But suddenly she took off her kitchen apron, wiped the worst of the sweet and the soot from her face, and was talking with the pastor in his study, almost before she knew how it had come about. After this it was not so very wonderful that one day in March the pastor's little red-painted sledge, ornamented with green tulips, and drawn by the pastor's little red horse, pulled up at Munkhyttan. Ingrid was, of course, obliged to go back with the pastor home to her mother. The pastor had come to fetch her. He did not say much about their being glad that she was alive, but one could see how happy he was. He had never been able to forgive himself that they had not been more kind to their adopted daughter, and now he was radiant at the thought that he was allowed to make a new beginning and make everything good for her this time. They did not speak a word about the reason why she had run away. It was of no use bringing that up again so long after. But Ingrid understood that the pastor's wife had had a hard time and had suffered many pangs of conscience, and that they wanted to have her back again in order to be good to her. She felt that she was almost obliged to go back to the parsonage to show that she had no ill feeling against her adopted parents. They all thought it was the most natural thing that she should go to the parsonage for a week or two. And why should she not? She could not make the excuse that they needed her at Munkhyttan. She could surely be away for some weeks without it doing Gunnar Hede any harm. She felt it was hard, but it was best she should go away, as they all thought it was the right thing. Perhaps she had hoped they would ask her not to go away. She took her seat in the sledge with the feeling that her ladyship or Miss Tava would surely come and lift her out of it and carry her into the house again. It was impossible to realize that she was actually driving down the avenue, that she was turning into the forest, and that Munkhyttan was disappearing behind her. But supposing it was from pure goodness that they let her go? They thought perhaps that youth, with its craving for pleasure, wanted to get away from the loneliness of Munkhyttan. They thought perhaps she was tired of being the keeper of a crazy man. She raised her hand and was on the point of seizing the reins and turning the horse. Now that she was several miles from the house, it struck her that that was why they had let her go. She would have liked so much to have gone back 
and asked them. In her utter loneliness she felt as if she were groping about in the wild forest. There was not a single human being who answered her or advised her. She received just as much answer from fir and pine and squirrel and owl as she did from any human being. It was really a matter of utter indifference to her how they treated her at the parsonage. They were very kind to her as far as she knew, but it really did not matter. If she had come to a palace full of everything one could most desire, that would likewise have been the same to her. No bed is soft enough to give rest unto one whose heart is full of longing. In the beginning she had asked them every day, as modestly as she could, if they would not let her go home, now that she had had the great happiness of seeing her mother and her brothers and sisters. But roads were really too bad. She must stay with them until the frost had disappeared. It was not a matter of life and death, they supposed, to go back to that place. Ingrid could not understand why it annoyed people when she said she wanted to go back to Munkhyttan, but this seemed to be the case with her father and her mother and everybody else in the parish. One had no right, it appeared, to long for any other place in the world when one was at Raglanda. She soon saw it was best not to speak about her going away. There were so many difficulties in the way whenever she spoke about it. It was not enough that the roads were still in the same bad condition. They surrounded her with walls and ramparts and moats. She would knit and weave and plant out in the forcing frames, and surely she would not go away until after the large birthday party at the dean's, and she could not think of leaving till after Karin Landberg's wedding. There was nothing for her to do but to lift her hands in supplication to the spring and beg it to make haste with its work, beg for sunshine and warmth, beg the gentle sun to do its very best for the great border forest, send small piercing rays between the fir trees and melt the snow beneath them. Dear, dear sun, it did not matter if the snow were not melted in the valley, if only the snow would vanish from the mountains, if only the forest paths became passable, if only the setter girls were able to go to their huts, if only the bogs became dry, if only it became possible to go by the forest road, which was half the distance of the high road. Ingrid knew one who would not wait for carriage or ask for money to drive, if only the road through the forest became passable. She knew one who would leave the parsonage some moonlit night and who would do it without asking a single person's permission. She thought she had waited for the spring before, that everybody does. But now Ingrid knew that she had never before longed for it. Oh, no, no! She had never before known what it was to long. Before she had waited for green leaves and anemones, and the song of the thrush and the cuckoo, but that was childishness, nothing more. They did not long for the spring who only thought of what was beautiful. One should take the first bit of earth 
that peeps through the snow and kiss it. One should pluck the first coarse leaf of the nettle, simply to burn into one that now the spring had come. Everybody was very good to her, but although they did not say anything, they seemed to think that she was always thinking of leaving them. I can't understand why you want to go back to that place and look after that crazy fellow, said Karin Landberg one day. It seemed as if she could read Ingrid's thoughts. Oh, she has given up thinking of that now, said the pastor's wife, before the young girl had time to answer. When Karin was gone, the pastor's wife said, People wonder that you want to leave us. Ingrid was silent. They say that when Hede began to improve, perhaps you fell in love with him. Oh, no, not after he had begun to improve, Ingrid said, feeling almost inclined to laugh. In any case, he's not the sort of person one could marry, said her adopted mother. Father and I have been speaking about it, and we think it is best that you should remain with us. It is very good of you that you want to keep me, Ingrid said and she was touched that now they wanted to be so kind to her. They did not believe her, however obedient she was. She could not understand what little bird it was that told them about her longing. Now her adopted mother had told her that she must not go back to Munkhytan, but even then she could not leave the matter alone. If they really wanted you, she said, they would write for you. Ingrid again felt inclined to laugh. That would be the strangest thing of all, should there be a letter from the enchanted castle. She would like to know if her adopted mother thought that the king of the mountain wrote for the maiden who had been swallowed by the mountain to come back when she had gone to see her mother. But if her adopted mother had known how many messages she had received she would probably have been even more uneasy. There came messages to her in her dreams by nights, and there came messages to her in her visions by day. He let Ingrid know that he was in need of her. He was so ill, so ill. She knew that he was nearly going out of his mind again, and that she must go to him. If anyone had told her this, she would simply have answered that she knew it. The large star-like eyes joked further and further away. Those who saw that look would never believe that she meant to stay quietly and patiently at home. It is not very difficult either to see whether a person is content or full of longing. One only needs to see a little gleam of happiness in the eyes when he or she comes in from work and sits down by the fire. But in Ingrid's eyes there was no gleam of happiness, except when she saw the mountain stream come down through the forest, broad and strong. It was that that should prepare the way for her. It happened one day that Ingrid was sitting alone with Karin Landberg, and she began to tell her about her life at Munkhyttan. Karin was quite shocked. How could Ingrid stand such a life? Karin Landberg was to be married very soon, and she was now at that stage 
when she could speak of nothing but her lover. She knew nothing but what he had taught her, and she could do nothing without first consulting him. It occurred to her that Olof had said something about Gunnar Hede, which would help to frighten Ingrid if she had begun to like that crazy fellow. And then she began to tell her how mad he had really been. For Olof had told her that when he was at the fair last autumn, some gentlemen had said that they did not think that the goat was mad at all. He only pretended to be in order to attract customers. But Olof had maintained that he was mad, and in order to prove it, went to the market and bought a wretched little goat. And then it was plain enough to see that he was mad. Olof had only put the goat in front of him on the counter where his knives and things lay, and he had run away and left both his pack and his wares, and they had all laughed so awfully when they saw how frightened he was. And it was impossible that Ingrid could care for anyone who had been so crazy. It was no doubt unwise of Karin Landberg that she did not look at Ingrid whilst she told this story. If she had seen how she frowned, she would perhaps have taken warning. And you will marry anyone who could do such a thing, Ingrid said. I think it would be better to marry the goat himself. This Ingrid said in downright earnest, and it seemed so strange to Karin that she, who was always so gentle, should have said anything so unkind that it quite worried her. For several days she was quite unhappy because she feared Olof was not what she would like him to be. It simply embittered Karin's life until she made up her mind to tell Olof everything, but he was so nice and good that he quite reassured her. It is not an easy task to wait for the spring in Värmland. One can have sun and warmth in the evening, and the next morning find the ground white with snow. Gooseberry bushes and lawns may be green, but trees of the birch forest are bare, and seem as if they will never spring out. At Whitsuntine there was spring in the air, but Ingrid's prayers had been of no avail. Not a single setter girl had taken up her abode in the forest, not a fen was dry, it was impossible to go through the forest. On Whitsunday, Ingrid and her adopted mother went to church. As it was such a great festival, they had driven to church. In olden days, Ingrid had very much enjoyed driving up to the church in full gallop, whilst people along the roadside politely took off their hats, and those who were standing on the road rushed to the side as if they were quite frightened but at the present moment she could not enjoy anything. Longing takes the fragrance from the rose, and the light from the full moon, says an old proverb. But Ingrid was glad for what she heard in church. It did her good to hear how the disciples were comforted in their longing. She was glad that Jesus thought of comforting those who longed so greatly for him. Whilst Ingrid and the rest of the congregation were in church, a tall Dalar man came walking down the road. He wore a sheepskin coat 
and had a large pack on his back like one who cannot tell winter from summer or sunday from any other day he did not go into the church but stole timidly past the horses that were tied to the railings and went into the churchyard he sat down on a grave and thought of all the dead who were still sleeping and of one of the dead who had awakened to life again he was still sitting there when the people left the church karin landberg's oluf was one of the first to leave the church and when he happened to look across the churchyard he discovered the dalar man it is hard to say whether it was curiosity or some other motive that prompted him but he went up to talk to him he wanted to see if it were possible that he who was supposed to have been cured had become mad again and it was possible he told him at once that he sat there waiting for her who was called grave lily she was to come and play to him she played so beautifully that the sun and the stars danced then karin landberg's oluf told him that she for whom he was waiting was standing outside the church if he stood up he could see her she would no doubt be glad to see him the pastor's wife and ingrid were just getting into the carriage when a tall dalar man came running up to them he came at a great pace in spite of all the horses he must curtsy to and he beckoned eagerly to the young girl as soon as ingrid saw him she stood quite still she could not have told whether she was most glad to see him again or most grieved that he had again gone out of his mind she only forgot everything else in the world her eyes began to sparkle in that moment she saw nothing of the poor wretched man she only felt that she was once again near the beautiful soul of the man for whom she had longed so terribly there were a great many people about and they could not help looking at her they could not take their eyes from her face she did not move she stood waiting for him but those who saw how radiant she was with happiness must have thought that she was waiting for some great and noble man instead of a poor half-witted fellow they said afterwards that it almost seemed as if there were some affinity between his soul and hers some secret affinity which lay so deeply hidden beneath their consciousness that no human being could understand it but when hede was only a step or two from ingrid her adopted mother took her resolutely round the waist and lifted her into the carriage she would not have a scene between the two just outside the church with so many people present and as soon as they were in the carriage the man sent his horses off at full gallop a wild terrified cry was heard as they drove away the pastor's wife thanked god that she had got the young girl into the carriage it was still early in the afternoon when a peasant came to the parsonage to speak with the pastor he came to speak about the crazy dollar man he had now gone quite raving mad and they had been obliged to bind him what did the pastor advise them to do what should they do with him the pastor could give them no other advice but to take him home he told the peasant who he was and where he lived 
Later on in the evening he told Ingrid everything. It was best to tell her the truth and trust to her own common sense. But when night came it became clear to her that she had not time to wait for the spring. The poor girl set out for Munkhyttan by the high road. She would no doubt be able to get there by that road, although she knew that it was twice as long as the way through the forest. It was Whit Monday late in the afternoon. Ingrid walked along the high road. There was a wide expanse of country with low mountains and small patches of birch forest between the fields. The mountain ash and the bird cherry were in bloom. The light sticky leaves of the aspen were just out. The ditches were full of clear rippling water which made the stones at the bottom glisten and sparkle. Ingrid walked sorrowfully along, thinking of him, whose mind had again given way, wondering whether she could do anything for him, whether it was of any use that she had left her home in this manner. She was tired and hungry. Her shoes had begun to go to pieces. Perhaps it would be better for her to turn back. She could never get to Munkhyttan. The further she walked, the more sorrowful she became. She could not help thinking that it could be of no use her coming now, that he had gone quite out of his mind. There was no doubt it was too late now. It was quite hopeless to do anything for him. But as soon as she thought of turning back, she saw Gunnar Hede's face close to her cheek, as she had so often seen it before. It gave her new courage. She felt as if he were calling for her. She again felt hopeful and confident of being able to help him. Just as Ingrid raised her head, looking a little less downcast, a queer little procession came towards her. There was a little horse drawing a little cart. A fat woman sat in the cart, and a tall, thin man with long, thin moustaches walked by the side of it. In the country, where no one understood anything about art, Mr. and Mrs. Blomgren always went in for looking like ordinary people. The little cart in which they travelled about was well covered over and no one could suspect that it only contained fireworks and conjuring apparatus and marionettes. No one could suspect that the fat woman who sat on the top of the load, looking like a well-to-do shopkeeper's wife, was formerly Miss Viola, who once sprang through the air, or that the man who walked by her side and looked like a pensioned soldier was the same Mr. Blomgren, who occasionally, to break the monotony of the journey, took it into his head to turn a somersault over the horse and play the ventriloquist with thrushes and siskins that sang in the trees by the roadside, so that he made them quite mad. The horse was very small and had formerly drawn a roundabout, and therefore it would never go unless it heard music. On that account Mrs. Blomgren generally sat playing the Jew's harp, but as soon as they met anyone she put it in her pocket, so that no one should discover they were artists, for whom country people have no respect whatever. Owing to this they did not travel very fast, but they were not in any hurry either. 
the blind man who played the violin had to walk some little distance behind the others in order not to betray the fact of his belonging to the company the blind man was led by a little dog he was not allowed to have a child to lead him for that would always have reminded mr and mrs blomgren of a little girl who was called ingrid that would have been too sad and now they were all in the country on account of the spring for however much money mr and mrs blomgren were making in the towns they felt they must be in the country at that time of the year for mr and mrs blomgren were artists they did not recognize ingrid as she went past them without taking any notice of them for she was in a hurry she was afraid of their detaining her but directly afterwards she felt that it was heartless and unkind of her and turned back if ingrid could have felt glad about anything she would have been glad by seeing the old people's joy at meeting her you may be sure they had plenty to talk about the little horse turned its head time after time to see what was wrong with the roundabout strangely enough it was ingrid who talked the most the two old people saw at once that she had been crying and they were so concerned that she was obliged to tell them everything that had happened to her but it was a relief to ingrid to speak the old people had their own way of taking things they clapped their hands when she told them how she had got out of the grave and how she had frightened the pastor's wife they caressed her and praised her because she had run away from the parsonage for them nothing was dull or sad but everything was bright and hopeful they simply had no standard by which to measure reality and therefore its hardness could not affect them they compared everything they heard with the pieces from marionette theatres and pantomimes of course one also put a little sorrow and misery into the pantomime but that was only done to heighten the effect and of course everything would end well in the pantomimes it always ended well there was something infectious in all this hopefulness ingrid knew they did not all understand how great her trouble was but it was cheering all the same to listen to them but they were also real help to ingrid they told her that they had dinner a short time since at the inn at torsoker and just as they were getting up from the table some peasants came driving up with a man who was mad mrs blomgren could not bear to see mad people and wanted to go away at once and mr blomgren had consented but supposing it was ingrid's madman and they had hardly said the words before ingrid said that it was very likely and wanted to set off at once mr blomgren then asked his wife in his own ceremonious manner if they were not in the country solely on account of the spring and if it were not just the same where they went and old mrs blomgren asked him equally ceremoniously in her turn if he thought she would leave her beloved ingrid before she had reached the harbour of her happiness then the old roundabout horse was turned and conversation grew more difficult 
because they again had to play on the Jew's harp. As soon as Mrs. Blomgren wished to say anything, she was obliged to hand the instrument to Mr. Blomgren, and when Mr. Blomgren wanted to speak, he gave it back again to his wife and the little horse stood still every time the instrument passed from mouth to mouth. The whole time they did their best to comfort Ingrid. They related all the fairy tales they had seen represented at the doll's theatre. They comforted her with the enchanted princess. They comforted her with Cinderella. They comforted her with all the fairy tales under the sun. Mr. and Mrs. Blomgren watched Ingrid when they saw that her eyes grew brighter. Artist's eyes, they said, nodding contentedly to each other. What did we say? Artist's eyes. In some incomprehensible manner, they had got the idea that Ingrid had become one of them, an artist. They thought she was playing a part in a drama. It was a triumph for them in their old age. On they went as fast as they could. The old couple were only afraid that the madman would not be at the inn any longer. But he was there, and the worst of it was no one knew how to get him away. End of section 8 Read by Lars Rolander